Hey, welcome to the Capital City Christian Podcast and to our series study through the book of 1 John, a verse-by-verse study through this great letter written by the Apostle John. So grab a Bible, grab a notepad, and let's dive in together. Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our uh, weekly Tuesday study as we are continuing in the series through the book of 1 John. If you have a Bible, love for you to grab your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 3, grab a notepad, grab your fancy glass. Today, my fancy glass is a healthy glass, straight H2O today, which is my all-time favorite drink. Make sure you drink enough water today. Hey, if you have your Bible again, 1 John chapter 3, it's where we're going to be together. Before we jump into 1 John chapter 3, we definitely have to do our Tuesday Dad Joke of the Week. Tuesday Dad Joke of the Week. Here is our joke today. Did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? Great food, no atmosphere. Yes, here's to Tuesday's Dad Joke of the Week. Man, we're really glad that you have uh, tuned in, however you're listening or watching um, today. Uh, we're going to continue in 1 John chapter 3, and we are in verse 8. We're going to be looking at verses 8, 9, and 10 today. Now remember, just some contextual insight into uh, 1 John chapter 3, 4 to 10. We talked about this last week, that this passage, uh, verses 4 to 10, has been um, the center of a lot of controversy in Christian theology over the years. Um, and, and as we talked about last week, the tension is between this concept of uh, what we call entire sanctification. Can we get to a point as believers where we do not sin anymore? Um, and the concept of the continuing self sinfulness of Christians. Both of these tensions and both of these kind of poles are expressed in other um, books of the Bible, Romans, the Apostle Paul's uh, great theological work in Romans being one of them. Uh, Romans chapter 6 talks about how there is this power that we have to overcome sin. But as soon as you turn to Romans chapter 7, there is this kind of idea that Paul says, listen, there are things that I know I should do, but I don't do them. And there's a sinful nature in me. There's been a very, very large theological conversation around this tension. And it is also showing up here in uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. So last week we looked at verses 4 through 7. We ended with verse 7 that says, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. And so John is about to make a sharp contrast, as he does often, um, from verse 7 to verse 8. Verse 7, he talks about how those who are righteous practice righteousness and they are born of God. And then in, or that was in verse seven. And then in verse eight, um, John continues the thought and he says this, the one who practices sin. So in contrast to verse seven, the one who practices righteousness, verse eight is the one who practices sin is of the devil. If you practice righteousness, you are born of God. You're a child of God. But if you practice sin, you are of the devil. God's children are known by how they live. The devil's children are known by how they live. The Apostle Paul would say this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. 
as for you, you were, he's speaking to the church, speaking to believers. And he says, you were in the past, before Jesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Talking about Satan, talking about the devil, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. And then look how this shows up. How do you know you're a child of the devil? Well, it's by the way that you live, gratifying the, the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest of us, we were by very nature deserving of wrath. So just as God's children are known by how they live, so too are the children of Satan. So John says, the one who practices sin is of the devil or born of the devil. And then he says this, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The devil continues to sin from the beginning. John chapter 8 verse 44 says this, Jesus' words, you belong to your father, the devil. So there are children of the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He, speaking of the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, this brings about a very interesting theological conversation is the kind of the theology of Satan, of the devil. Who, who is the devil? Uh, and maybe a question is, when did um, the devil rebel against God? It's, a difficult, it's difficult theologically to determine some of those questions of when uh, the devil rebelled against God. Job uh, works in Zechariah, 1 Kings chapter 22, seemed to show that Satan um, was a servant of God and one of the, what we would call, angelic counselors. Um, it's possible that Satan's pride and arrogance and ambition um, uh, kind of led to his rebellion. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 18, uh, tells us that Jesus saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, but it doesn't say when. Um, the origin and development of evil uh, as it relates to Satan and when Satan rebelled against God really is an uncertainty because of the lack of revelation. There's not much in the Bible about the timing of that. So we have to be careful uh, to not systematize or dogmatize certain isolated texts like this. Um, I think the best discussion of the Old Testament's development of Satan um, from servant to vile enemy um, is a work called The Old Testament Theology, what was written by um, A. Davidson. Uh, but we can't be uh, too quick to develop a whole theology because there is a lack of revelation when it comes to uh, questions about the devil. All that we do know is that the devil has sinned since the very beginning, and he continues to do so, and those who live and practice sin are children of the devil. And then, verse 8, again, John reiterates the purpose of Jesus coming to the world with this powerful line. The Son of God appeared for this very purpose to destroy the works of the devil, right? Genesis chapter 3, that, that God will put enmity between the, the, the serpent and the seed of the woman. And, and how Jesus is going to be the one that will crush the head of Satan. And he did so on the cross and in his victory over death. But here John reiterates the whole narrative of the Bible. 
God's purpose was to send his one and only son, the son of God, which is the most significant title for Jesus. He is the son of God. And Jesus appeared. That word appeared means to, to bring to light or to make clear. So Jesus appeared. His incarnation was purposed so that he would destroy the works of the devil. The purpose of Jesus' manifestation in time and flesh was to destroy, or, or, or that word destroy means to unbind or loose, to destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus did that on the cross. But humans, we must respond to the finished work of Jesus on the cross by receiving Jesus by faith. But Jesus has destroyed the work of sin. He has defeated the devil and he is, and, 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 and Jesus has won. Now the devil is still active in the world and will be until the full consummation of the kingdom of God. But there is a great promise in this verse that, that Jesus appeared to destroy, <coughs> excuse me, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, verse 9, <coughs> John continues, and he says this, No one who is born of God, okay, in contrast again to those who are of the devil, born of the devil, no one who is born of God practices sin. No one who is born of God practices sin. Now, there are a couple of theories about the significance of this statement, okay? What is John referring to? The first theory is that John is referring to the Gnostic false teachers again, especially um, that group of false teachers that reduced salvation to simply intellectual concepts, and therefore they removed the whole concept and the necessity of a moral lifestyle. And so that is one option. The second option is the fact that this present tense verb that John uses, practices sin, emphasizes continual habitual sinful activity okay very much like the apostle paul used in romans chapter 6 when he says this in verse 1 what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase should should we keep sinning uh paul would also write in, in romans 6 15 what shall we say then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace by no means so, so we have these, these, these concepts of, uh, is John referring to the false teachers or is John referring to a habitual lifestyle of sin that anybody is, is tempted to live? The historical approach of, uh, the contextual approach to thinking about it as the Gnostic teachers, I think is, is a good approach, but I, I think that also looking at it applicable to us today, recognizing that if we're living in sin today, that says something about whether we are a child of God or not is also um, is also a truth that we can apply to our lives. So John says, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. So whose seed is abiding in who? John uses this phrase, his seed abides in him. There are several, several ways to interpret this, and, and they, it's been interpreted multiple ways throughout the course of church history. Here's a few of those ways. Number one, um, Augustine, the early church um, father, and, and Martin Luther both said that this seed referred to God's word. So God's word is the seed that lives in us. Uh, John Calvin said it refers to the Holy Spirit. 
that lives within us. Thirdly, some people have, have said that this seed is the divine nature or the new self since we are a new creation. A fourth possibility is the fact that this seed is actually Jesus himself, the, the seed of Abraham. Galatians 3.16 says, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to seed, singular, meaning one person who is Jesus. So maybe that seed that is in us is Jesus. It's the presence of Jesus, the presence of uh, the fullness of who Jesus is. Um, fifthly, some people say this phrase, the seed that abides in him, is, is synonymous with the phrase born of God. So you have a seed, you have the concept of reproduction. And then sixthly, apparently this term was used by the Gnostics, uh, false teachers, to speak of the divine spark in all of humans. Right? There's this divine spark that intellectually brings us to, you know, to life. It's in every human. So there's many options of what the seed is. I personally lean towards saying that it's Jesus and the fullness of who Jesus is. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. And when Jesus lives in us and when Jesus lives with us, we will not practice sin. He says his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Here is that tension again that arises. Wait a minute, does that mean that Christians can't sin? Is that what John is saying? And you have to refer to last week's lesson because we have to see these verses within the whole context of the book of 1 John. If we go back to 1 John chapter 2, John makes it very clear that, listen, all of this I'm writing to you so that you will not sin, but if you do, you have an advocate. Okay, so John obviously, uh, he, he gives this sense that when we sin or if we sin, that, that we have an advocate with the Father. It doesn't mean that we are not complete believers. It doesn't mean that Christ is not with us or in us. But then here, John uses this verse where he says, listen, he cannot sin because he is born of God. And what he's referring to is he cannot, we cannot habitually live in continuous sin if we are really born of God. Because if we are born of God, then our life will show it. If we are born of the devil, our life will show it. And then John concludes this section in verse 10, and he really is making a summary statement in verse 10. He's summarizing all of verse 4 through verse 9. He summarizes it this way in verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. I love what John does here. This verse contains two uh, present active indicatives and two present active particles, which refer to an action in process. Theologically, this is a parallel to Jesus' statement in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. How one lives reveals one's heart and one's spiritual orientation. How one lives reveals one's heart. Matthew chapter 7 verse 16, Jesus says these words, by their fruit you will recognize them. By their fruit you will recognize them. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, Jesus says, by their fruit you will recognize them. You can recognize children of God by the fruit that they are producing. So there is the children of God, 
and there's the children of the devil. So the question today, as you think about these verses and you think about your life, is are you a child of God or are you a child of the devil? And does your fruit substantiate and prove the claim that you make about whose child you are? You can't get much simpler than verse 10. When John says, by this the children of the God of God and children of the devil are obvious, anyone who does not practice this righteousness is not of God, nor the ones who does not love his brother. If you want to be a child of God, it's going to be displayed in the way that you live, in the way that you practice righteousness, and in the way that you love the people that God puts in your life. I want you to answer this question today. Does my fruit show that I'm a child of God? Can you identify the fruit in your life that shows that you are born of God? Hey, next week we're going to jump into verse 11 with a great, great section of this awesome letter. We thank you for being here with us today. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day, and we will see you next week as we continue in our study through First John. We hope this content serves as a catalyst towards spiritual growth in your own life. If you want to support this podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, rate, review, and share it. This helps create more exposure and allows us to include as many people as possible into this community. Thanks for joining us and for being a part of the Capital City Christian Podcast.